1: Glad to have all of you with us for uh, Political Rewind. It is about 9.06 in the morning, and yes, that's right, we are live (laughs) on GPB Radio. In fact, before I introduce this terrific panel in the uh, studio with me today, I think it's important to go over again what's happened with the schedule for Political Rewind, because we had a lot of questions about it after we were off the air yesterday. So here goes. Starting this week, Political Rewind you're going to have two opportunities a day to listen to Political Rewind. We will be on the air at 9 a.m. Uh, in place of On Second Thought, which is moving to a different day, and I'll mention that in a second. But you'll be able to listen to us at 9 in the morning, and then when the impeachment trial ends, you will also be able to hear us at 2 in the afternoon. Now, now yes, the 2 o'clock show will be a repeat of what you we've done at 9, but— we have very different audiences at 9 and 2, so you now have a new opportunity to listen to the show whenever you uh, want to hear it. There there were some—during the impeachment trial, of course, the 2 o'clock show won't air because we're covering uh, the, the impeachment trial through NPR. Um, once the trial ends, 2 o'clock, we'll be back on the schedule. We had some questions yesterday about Facebook Live, and the reality of it is I know there are some of you out there who really love to be able to talk back and forth to each other in real-time on Facebook Live. That's going to be at 9 o'clock from now on rather than 2 o'clock. You can watch the show on Facebook Live at any time, day or night, but if you want to be part of the real-time conversation, that will now take place during the 9 o'clock show. Hope all that makes sense. (laughs) I'm going to repeat it a few more times this week because I I know changes like this take some time to drill into our heads. On Second Thought will now air with Virginia Prescott, who is just one of the best hosts in public radio in the country, will now be on the air at 11 o'clock on Friday morning, at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning, and at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So those are all part of the changes, and, and they've been done here because you've told us that politics matters so much to you right now, and that you want to hear from our panelists during this year ahead. So if you have any more questions, any concerns, you can always email me, bnygud at gpb.org. You can post on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, And by the way, Tom Faust points out that if you're not going to follow the show in real time on Facebook Live, you can always tweet us at politicsgpb and be part of the live conversation. All right. As I said, I'll mention it a few more times this week, and then I hope we all get it. Now, let's turn to the panel. Greg Bluestein is with us. Uh, Of course, he's political reporter at the AJC and uh, joins us on most Wednesdays when you're available to us,
2: Mr. Bluestein. How are you? Good morning. Fresh off driving carpool for my kids.
1: (laughs) Yeah, everybody got in here early. I've, I've been worried about that, but you guys are all great. By the way, we should go ahead and point out now. You're going to have a big a few weeks ahead of you. You'll be in Iowa for the caucuses and then New Hampshire for the primary the following
2: week. You got it. And then probably South Carolina after that. Yeah. And then and then the show comes to Georgia pretty soon after that. Pretty
1: soon after that. Lori Geary. Uh, is uh, with us. Lori, of course, longtime political reporter at WSB TV Channel 2. And now the host of The Georgia, Georgia Gang, Gang mm-hmm. which is on Fox 5 on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. It's it, 8:30. Lori. 830. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I, I apologize. Um. Who it, who, you have a, do you have your permanent panel in place at this point?
3: We do, actually. We're announcing it this week. Can you so announce here it it is, exclusively Good. Scoop. Bill okay. <laughs> Um Kathy Woolard, the former That's Atlanta great. City Council president, will yeah. be joining us permanently. Great. I don't want to say filling the spot of Alexis Scott because nobody can fill her right. shoes. Right. Um, but Kathy will be a permanent fixture now. So we're excited to have her and welcoming her this week.
1: Theron Johnson Theron is Johnson. a regular on the show.
3: Yes. Phil Kent.
1: Phil Kent. Yeah.
3: Janelle King. Yeah. OK. Kathy and me.
1: All right. Um, it's if you haven't uh, been watching it, as it, most people in the political establishment are, uh, Laurie Geary a terrific host. And I'm really Thank happy you. to say we're no longer. Uh, you don't have to worry about us on Sunday mornings anymore because the TV edition of Political Rewind is now on the air. Seven o'clock on Friday nights.
0: OK. OK. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
1: I. Senator Jen Jordan, I think I should apologize for spending all this time talking about our show. But let me just say I'm glad you are with us, Democratic uh, Senator, and um, representing Atlanta and parts north. Is that a fair way to say it?
4: Yes, and and, uh, significant parts of Cobb County, too. Yeah,
1: yeah, as well. Um, Jackie Gingrich-Cushman is back with us. Uh, Jackie is a conservative columnist and an author. Her new book, which—oh,
5: it's right, you have it with you. it's right here. It's right here for you to hold up. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Can we get a shot on that camera? Our broken America. Uh, I always get the subtitle wrong. Why both sides need to stop ranting and stop listening. No, start start listening. listening. Stop. Start listening. Start listening. <laughs> start, listening. <laughs> start
5: listening. We we've stopped listening. We, we stop. now need to start.
1: We're definitely there. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of trying to listen, uh, let's let's talk about what happened yesterday and into the early morning hours of this morning in Washington. I pointed out at the very top of the show that, of course, uh, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue voted in step with all of the Republicans in the Senate to at least temporarily uh, 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 say they don't want, at this point, witnesses or evidence introduced. They'll have another chance at that later. But you know, Greg Bluestein, here's what I find so interesting, and it's not a surprise. This morning, I watched the six o'clock hour of Morning Joe, and I heard all about how the trial is going and what an incredible job the Democrats are doing in presenting their case. (laughs) I watched the seven o'clock hour of Fox and Friends where I learned that Democrats are embarrassing themselves, they're lying and they are continuing the rigged impeachment and Pat Cipollone and the president's defenders are absolutely spectacular in how they're handling it. The two universes continue to be a Astonishingly different.
2: Yeah, I mean as polarized as our electorate is the media can be just as polarizing and it's, it's hard to find. we were talking about this off air, but it's hard to find You know just a non-biased summation of what's going on right now um, But what we do know and we can I think both sides can agree on I mean, it was the last 12 or so 14 hours of that debate was utter acrimony. I mean it was it was polarizing partisan and um, Just bitter.
1: Yeah, I um, Laurie no matter which side you're on, the the charges of lying that went back and forth, uh, some of the bitterness, which we saw during the, the House uh, impeachment hearings, mm-hmm. both in, in the Intelligence Committee and, and the Judiciary Committee. But this is different. This is the floor of the United States mm-hmm. Senate. The chief justice of the United States Supreme Court is presiding. And he even had to call it out at one point.
3: He did. And, you know, this is our House of Lords, right? I mean, this doesn't happen in this deliberative body. And I, I love the fact that we got our word of the day from the Chief Justice. Yes. It is pettifogging fogging. And um, on Google, it was like my second, <laughs> my second word that's being Googled. What context so, did he use it in? He talked about in 1905 in the Swain trial, Um they said, you know, we don't want to rise to the level of petty fogging, and that is placing undue emphasis on petty details. Imagine. Imagine <laughs> where where they were then, where we are now. And I think that's really how the American public feels, too. Enough. Just enough. Let's just get on with this. Both sides state their case, and we move on. But the name-calling, it's just its ridiculous.
1: So—, so um Jackie and Jen, let me give each of you an opportunity to talk about this. Uh, we, we know that it's a foregone conclusion, Jackie, that the Senate is going to vote to acquit him, or at least we believe that to be mm-hmm. the case. There's no way in the world they're going to get enough votes to convict the president. Um, given that context, the next the real jury is the voter. Right. It's it's us. The people who are watching all this unfold. So let me give you an opportunity to give your thoughts about how you think, based on the first day, um, people are likely to to view what happened.
5: I think um, while we are um, where we're watching, right, political pundits and people in this in this area and some of us stayed up late, which I did not I did not stay up late to watch this. Um, nor did I watch Fox, nor, nor MSNBC this morning, because I could kind of tell you what their coverage was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> I think most of the American public is really, quite frankly, t- tuning it out. Um, they, they know, to your point, you know, we've already talked about it, so foregone conclusion, right? So there's probably not going to be any dramatic change in the end. They all know an election's coming up in the fall. That's not new news. They all know of all the candidates on the Democratic side, so we had to pick a Democratic nominee still. That's kind of exciting for the Democrats, right, to figure that out. But I think for the average American, quite frankly, they're tuning it out.
1: Um, Jen?
4: Look, it it, it kind of hurts my heart. <laughs> I mean, especially as a lawyer and someone who is a real believer in our institutions in this country um, and know how important they are. Um, people are tuning it out, and I don't necessarily think they should be. Um, You know, I really wish people uh, took their responsibilities as citizens, um, you know, more significantly and sat down and really tried to parse through what was going on one way or the other and just kind of come out with their opinion. But unfortunately, there is so much noise that you really can't dig through because once somebody presents something as fact, then the other side says it's a lie. And so if you're sitting there and actually trying to figure it out, you know, kind of from an unbiased place, it's almost impossible.
1: Yeah. So let me keep it with you and then go around the the, the table on this. Uh, all right. But there is a practical impact of all this. You have two Republican senators from Georgia sitting in the (laughs) trial. Uh, Both of them, as I said already, Leffler and Perdue, voted with all of the other Republicans, completely partisan vote, to at least at this stage of the trial exclude new witnesses and exclude the documentation that the Democratic uh, uh, House had uh, gathered in all of this. So... How do you, uh, given that it is possible that many people are not tuned in, but they will see sound bites, they'll read about the trial. D- give me your sense of how this is going to play with Georgia voters as they try to decide on whether Purdue and Leffler are representing the the people of Georgia.
4: Look, I think that the and, and what we've seen from the polling in the AJC too. I think the sides are pretty locked down in terms of of what they believe, and I think there's a very thin kind of middle area, um, and those are the folks that are just kind of tuning out. I will say that I do think it is imperative for the House managers to present their case um, as well as they possibly can in terms of the evidence, because really this is historical in a lot of ways. And I do think that um, the majority leader um, is shutting down kind of the presentation of evidence and the ability to hear the facts. Look, if, if the Republicans... Um, really believe that there's nothing to see here, right? Keep moving, folks. You know, this is just, uh, you know, delirious Democrats. Then let the evidence be put out there. And then it, it will be exposed on its face, right, as something that's petty and they should not have gone after. But the fact that they're trying to shut down the presentation altogether really does lead one to believe that they're trying to hide something here. And so what that does is that then erodes people's um, kind of belief in our institutions and in our belief that there is a fair process in place. And at the end of the day, that's really what the job of the Senate is, is to at least make people think or perceive that there is some kind of fair process. I I, I do wonder
1: about that. Um, Greg, in, in my hour of Fox and Friends this morning, Elaine Stefanik was on, the Republican who made a name for herself in the hearings on the House side. And she talked about the great victory that Republicans achieved yesterday by shutting down these Eleven motions that were presented by the uh, the House impeachment managers to try to bring in uh, witnesses and evidence, and uh, and she she and the Fox team agreed that was a victory. I wonder if it's a Pyrrhic victory, uh, because I wonder if when people are not paying attention, maybe to the hour by hour, minute by minute hearing, if what Jen Jordan says isn't going to have an impact. Why aren't we having a real trial? And Republicans are locked in probably here in Georgia, but those independent voters may wonder about that.
2: Yeah, they might. And, and and obviously Republicans want to get this trial over as quickly as they possibly can. But I keep on going back to the numbers in that AJC poll. I mean, the numbers that showed close to 60 percent of voters, uh, including independents, Want don't want the President Trump ousted mm-hmm. by an impe- impeachment trial. They either want him um, ousted in November or they want him to stay in office. And there's two other numbers, I think, that translates to, to, to Kelly Laffer to how this is playing out in the Republican world. That's not, one is 93 percent, which is the approval rating mm-hmm. President Trump has among Republicans here in Georgia. And the other is 60 percent, and that's the proportion— of Republicans who don't know enough about Kelly Leffler to form an opinion quite yet. That's the reason why her very first ad last week, instead of it being a bio ad about her upbringing in rural Illinois, was all about President Trump. So, look, it just shows you um, they, they have similar polling that shows similar numbers. So it shows you exactly where Republicans are going on the President Trump issue here. With you want to jump
5: in, Jackie? Well, I think I want to refer back to what the senator was saying, which I think you're exactly right. I think that the two sides are kind of lined up, right? So you have kind of where the Republicans are. And to your point, you know, Senator Loeffler's, her ad was clearly almost like a primary ad, even mm-hmm. though she has no primary. It was designed, I think, to keep out Collins, um, possibly for money against her. But if you look at Georgia, you know, the, 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 the Democrats and Republicans are kind of lined up. So the question is, what can be done to secure the middle? And that's where I think it's going to be really interesting to see because the more both sides, right, swing to their kind of standard positions, the more that middle kind of has to search some more. Uh, My guess is they don't actually search far enough to figure out what the rules were of evidence. That's just my guess. But a lot of it's going to be the tone and tenor, and we can talk about that, especially in regard to Trump. Um, So I think think there's still a lot at play.
1: Uh, Go
3: ahead, Laura. Well, I think also – Neither side thinks this is fair. If you talk to Republicans, they hmm. say that the House hearings weren't fair. And now you're saying, you know, the Democrats are saying the same thing about the Senate rules. But also, Bill, I mean, this is an impeachment this is politics. It's political, right? You can't take the politics right. out of it. I mean, remember the numbers: fifty-three, forty-seven. Because you will—that's what we all, we all saw last night um, and yesterday all day. But I think also this is so complicated. I referred to this as like watching a federal trial, and maybe ten minutes of it is really interesting, and the rest of it you're just taking notes tediously. There's no. Um, You know, when they when the Democrats present their side, it's emails, it's transcripts, it's it's complicated to follow. You know, there's no tape like we saw Richard Nixon's impeachment. Um, There's no blue dress. There's nothing sexy about this. Um, And we saw kind of the same thing with the Mueller investigation. And I think that's why people are really tired and just want to move on.
1: So, um, um, yeah, go ahead.
3: So. So one thing about Leffler that's interesting to me,
4: because she's she's (coughs) trying to kind of um, be on the you know, kind of take the position on the right to try to block Collins from getting in. Mm -hmm. Collins is going to get in. So then the question is, have they strategically made the wrong decision by kind of placing her in that area when really the voters that she could appeal to, arguably, are the independent ones and kind of more moderate Republicans. And so what she's showing, I mean, look, the reason that Johnny Isaacson was so popular for so long is because people really did view him as kind of an independent voice, like someone who was going to do the right thing when he needed to do it. And what Leffler's showing is that she's just going to be lockstep with Purdue, with the president, and frankly, I don't think that independent voters or moderate voters are necessarily interested yeah. in um, electing just another citizen.
1: She is in an unenviable position in that respect, Greg. She
2: is. Um, her move to the right is not just to block Doug Collins and to carry favor with the Republicans. It's also aimed at an audience of one as well as President Trump. And what they want to do is keep, well, obviously they want to get Trump's endorsement, but absent of that, which seems like a far-fetched notion with Doug Collins still Likely going to run, um, they want to keep him on the sidelines, and so by running these ads, saying uh, you know, upholding her, her 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 allegiance to President Trump, it makes it all the more harder for him to say anything about positive about Doug Collins or negative about her.
1: Jackie, I want you can respond to anything you want on what you just heard, <laughs> but I also want to throw in one more thing. I thought last night about the fact that we know that one of Trump's uh, biggest uh, uh, advantages. Uh, In everything that's happened in his three years in office is that he has this incredible team on Fox News at night, Uh, Tucker Carlson, followed Mm -hmm. by Sean Hannity, who are there to make sure that their their viewers understand everything the president is doing is wonderful. Well, they're suddenly not there. Because impeachment uh, coverage is, is covering up their particular shows. And it occurred to me that, I mean, Hannity still has his radio show, and I frankly don't know the difference between the numbers on the radio show and the TV show. But it is interesting that these guys who are his biggest cheerleaders are suddenly not voices in the room when Trump may need them most.
5: Well, that's true. So let me, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll answer that and then I'll go back. Okay. So part of that is too, I mean, think about, um, you know, Fox, you know, night news. It's, it is very, I mean, I, I've known Hannity for a very long time. I know, Carlson, it's also very entertaining. And they are, to your point, they're they're Trump interpreters, right? So they're telling people what Trump really meant to say, what he was saying, what he's going to say, what it really means. And so that's very different than looking at an incredibly boring, you know, Senate proceeding where everyone's sitting in their seats where they can't even have coffee. Thank goodness we can have coffee. (laughs) Um, Did
1: you notice – did you know the rules mm -hmm. on – on the, on the, they can have water, but do you know the other thing they can have? I learned this yesterday. Milk. Lauren, milk. Mi-
5: <laughs> milk. Maybe to soothe their... I don't know. Throw Who knows? Well, a, maybe because you don't
3: really... Can't really put anything in milk. At a
1: certain, I, <laughs> I, mean, well, I don't know. It. <laughs>
6: right.
1: This was a, a senator introduced a resolution asking that he have milk in, in condition to water on the floor back in the 70s or something. Oh. Go ahead. So, yeah.
5: So, they, so this is a very very dry. Right. It's, it's not entertaining. It's not really quite frankly. If you watch it for a very short time, it's not really that informative. Really, because like a trial. To really understand it, you have to watch the entire proceedings because they're going to refer back on day three to something that happened in day one in the second hour and someone's comment. So it's really hard to get kind of this, you know, this continuity. So the question is going to be, where do all these viewers go, which I'm not sure we know yet. Um, But back to it, I mean, it is a political process. I mean, part of the challenge we have is that, you know, we have the actual transcripts of the calls. And as Trump said, go read the transcript. And. I've read it. I'm sure. Hopefully, y'all. Have, I'm sure you've all read it. Hopefully, the, the listeners will, will read it as well. But then you have all the people that are interpreting, you know, in, under oath what, what Trump really meant to say and what possibly he could have said and what he really meant. So it's it's a very confusing approach. And I think back to Greg's point about the poll. People are tired of it and they just want to vote. They know the whole process is political. They know the Democrats have finally found something to impeach him with. They've been trying forever to find something and they finally found something and they're ready to move on and just vote in November.
1: All right. That's our segment on impeachment for today. We'll come back to it time and time again. Uh, but thank you for a really uh, forward, a respectful conversation. I really love that about the fact that we all could talk about it uh, uh, in, in uh, insightful and smart, respectful ways. All right. Let's take a break right now and come back with a lot more on Political Rewind. Is your used car or truck creating stress in your life? Donate it to GPB where it can create more hours of your favorite programs instead. It's easy to give. We provide free and convenient pickup and send you the paperwork for your taxes. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars to donate today. That's 877-GPB-1-CAR or gpb.org slash cars and thanks for supporting GPB.
0: Support for GPB comes from generous listeners like you. And Middle Georgia State University, offering a fully online master's degree in management with concentrations in organizational management and supply chain management. Short sessions each semester, visit mga.edu msm. And Georgia Cares, which can help those who are new to Medicare understand their choices and enroll in a plan that meets their needs. Information, including enrollment periods, can be found at mygeorgiacares.org.
1: We're back on uh, Political Rewind. I was just trying to persuade Lori Geary. <laughs> it may have caught a little bit of it on the air that she, you know, she, when she does her show on Friday before they're on the air uh, on Sunday, she should come in here first every now and then. But she's saying she already got uh, the we'll makeup. It just yeah. depends
3: on carpool.
1: I got you. All right. All um, right. Jen Jordan, let's start with you. Look, we want to spend some time talking about both uh, Senate race number one and number two. There was a lot of speculation, and and I think for a while you, I think it would be fair to say we're giving it serious consideration, that you might want to throw your hat in the ring for Senate seat number two, the Johnny Isaac seat, now Kelly Leffler seat. You have decided against it. We haven't had a chance to talk to you uh, about that. So give us your thinking.
4: Yeah, look, I think we all know that um, politics is all about timing. Right. And at this point, you know, my children are a little bit younger and, um, you know, we've got some really interesting people that are throwing their hat into the ring and are able to kind of step up to the plate. Um, And it's it's their time to do that. And so, you know, and let's be honest, the Republicans in the state Senate would would be really
2: upset if I (laughs) left them.
4: (laughs) So You know, I I don't I don't want to, you know, upset the apple cart too much.
2: Greg. Did I mean, did Reverend Warnock's upcoming decision, whatever that might be, have to do with it? Did any national pressures have to do with it or or is this sort of an independent decision?
4: It's kind of all of the above. Right. Like if 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 you don't see someone kind of on the horizon that you think could, you know, could really do it, then, of course, you offer yourself for service. Uh, But at the end of the day, if there's someone like um, Raphael Warnock, who and as someone who loves political rhetoric and loves to listen to Stacey Abrams speak and and, and loves speakers, period, I mean, he is really going to kind of elevate the discourse in the race. And it's going to be incredibly interesting to listen to him and Leffler and Collins and everybody else who's going to jump into the mix.
2: So do you expect Democrats to unify behind Reverend Warnock if he gets in?
4: More likely than not. I mean, I think we've seen Ed Tarver, who's really a great guy with a great reputation and resume, um, former U.S. attorney, uh, former state senator from Augusta, who's just fabulous. Um, and then, of course, Matt Lieberman's still in the race. Yeah. And as we know, in a jungle primary, it doesn't take much to shave off mm-hmm. just enough, mm-hmm. right, to throw it into a jungle. I mean, throw it into a runoff. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's really probably what the Republicans are thinking, too, that ultimately this is just going to go to a runoff.
1: So if I may, let's pick up on, on this notion that it looks like Raphael Warnock is jumping into the race uh, and uh, then get everybody in the mix on talking about him. Uh, Greg, the, we had this extraordinary day on Monday on the MLK holiday. You had Kelly Leffler. Uh, Taking Johnny Isaacson's place, he was always very proud of the fact that he went to every MLK Day service at Ebenezer Baptist Church. She did the same this week. Uh, And there's Warnock getting up to give his annual sermon and with her sitting right behind him and with increasingly people absolutely certain he's going to get into this race An interesting dynamic right there
2: yeah what a scene and 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 you know the interesting part of that message was it seemed almost as aimed at Kelly Leffler as Brad Raffensberger, the secretary of state who was also in the room it was a lot of focus on voting rights and on upholding Martin Luther King Jr's legacy yeah i
1: want to play a couple of sound bites from Warnock before i do you are so right it was interesting to me in the Warnock sermon that he talked about people of great wealth he talked about Wall Street bankers. I mean, <laughs> both of which one could think Jackie might have been oblique references to Kelly Leftler <laughs> herself. Yeah. Uh, well,
5: yeah, oblique for, to some people maybe, but you know, just <laughs> <laughs> te- te- Bill. Um, no, I think. I mean, I think Reverend Warnock. Uh, I mean, he'd be a very formidable candidate. Um, I actually serve with him on the Gears Board. He's a member of the Gears Board as well as I am. I think very highly of him. I've got to say, from a political standpoint. I think actually the senator would have been a tougher candidate to, um, to run against Senator Loeffler, to be honest with you, just because I think it had been a head to head battle. Um, so I think from a Republican standpoint, we're probably lucky that you're not running. Um, but I've uh, got
4: time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> what is it, 60 days out? Wait till um, those
3: kids get a little older. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
5: yeah. But, you know, but I, I think we have to wait and see. It's a, it's one thing to, to kind of express interest. And and um, I know, Greg, you'll probably correct me if I'm wrong. But I think for um, Reverend Warnock, if he does decide to run, that he has to give up his position in the church. I, well, because is that not true?
1: No, I don't think so. Let's hold off on that okay. and then come back to that. Let's first hear Warnock. On, I have two. I pulled two clips from him. Uh, speaking uh, at the service at Ebenezer. Uh, Here he is just to get a sample of his rhetoric, and in this case, uh, talking about Medicaid expansion.
6: I, I just want you to stand where Dr. King stood, because all of us are standing and sitting here right now. But right in this very moment, There are 240,000 Georgians who are standing in the Medicaid gap because we would not accept the Medicaid expansion and politicians are playing games with the health care of American workers. Stand where Dr. King stood.
1: So that was one point. And then here's a longer soundbite in which we get a little bit broader sweep of what he's all about, among other things, as uh, we just talked about a minute ago, talking about voter suppression.
6: It's MLK weekend, and everybody wants to be seen standing where Dr. King stood. That's fine. You're welcome. But if today you would stand in this holy place where Dr. King stood, Make sure that come tomorrow, we'll find you standing where Dr. King stood. But Dr. King is the first victim of identity theft. Folk try to remember him and dismember him at the same time. Remember and dismember, cut off his social legacy at the same time. They offer platitudes to his name while supporting voter suppression and voter purging and unnecessary programs of exact match, racial gerrymandering. We purged 500,000 voters one Saturday night right here in Georgia, ground zero for voter suppression. You cannot honor Dr. King. You cannot stand with Dr. King today and not stand with him tomorrow.
1: So, Greg, we get, start to get a little bit of a sense of the issues he'd run on. Certainly all Democrats are going to run on what they say is voter suppression in the state, uh, Medicaid expansion, uh, fairly standard for what Democrats have been running on.
2: Yeah, I remember, this, these were some of his issues the last time he yeah. he was pondering a Senate run. That was back in in 20, uh, 2015, 2016 against against Senator Isaacson. Um, and and these are issues that he's been on the forefront of for a long time. Voting rights. Um, he he's led uh, um, you know bus rides to to polling sites uh, on, on weekends, and he's been at the Capitol advocating for these issues. So these are not new to him at all, at all. And these were the same issues that he emphasized way back when he was kind of flirting with a bid in 2015. So,
1: so, Jackie, real quick, uh, I, I didn't mean to cut you off before, but I wanted people to hear Warnock. You, you suggested he'd give up his pulpit. That's, that's
5: why I'd heard asked for, for Bluestein to, to correct me, but I, that's my understanding. I, I
1: mentioned this on the show a couple weeks ago when we talked about whether Warnock was going to get in. In a conversation I had with him a few weeks ago, um, he said, I said to him, your congregation loves you. They don't want you to leave it's going to be heartbreaking to them if you leave. And he said he would like to model his candidacy and his possible uh, tenure in the Senate after Adam Clayton Powell. And you'll recall the Harlem Congressman Adam Clayton Powell did, in fact, continue to be the pastor of his congregation, even as he served in Congress. That would be an extraordinary kind of a role to be able to play, Jackie.
5: Oh, no, absolutely. I've just, I, Again, I'm not up on all the legalities of all that. I mean, Blue Seed, I'm sure, will we'll fill us in on that. But I do think it's a, a bit challenging for him because clearly those are the talking points and the rallying cries that you're going to hear from whatever um, Democrat candidate there is. Um, and he's very articulate. And again, I, I mean, I think a lot of Reverend Warnock. I serve on the board of gears with him. I've actually been in Ebenezer Baptist Church mm. um, for an event for our house, which is a homeless shelter where I serve as well. So, and I think he's got a good point. And I believe that Senator Leffler stood up and clapped. That you know, things that we strive for, I think we we all need to do that every day. But I think a lot of it is in how we want to get there. And so, when you talk about the kind of basics, and I'm this is going to be kind of the dumbing down on the two parties so i don't mean this to be too trite but you know democrats want certain results but they want government to make sure we get there and republicans often want similar results but we want to we want to do it through community and do through civil action and individual action and so i think we need to have a real discussion about that it's not always where we're going to, but how we get there.
1: Uh, Greg, is there anything that would prevent him? I mean, there are certain kind of campaign finance uh, rules that he'd have to pay attention to, but they wouldn't prevent him from doing both, right? Yeah,
2: they? so back in 15, he had the same sort of stance. Yes. He 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 wanted to stay on the legendary yep. pulpit while he ran for the Senate, if he was going to run for the Senate, which he ultimately decided not to. Such a move would invite scrutiny from the IRS, because right. there are there are rules that prevent you from openly advocating mm-hmm. um, for your candidacy right. while on the pulpit. You could lose your tax exemption status so it would still be legal for warnock to preach and run as a democrat but he would have to steer clear of talking about his candidacy and avoid using any church resources right. for the campaign right
1: laurie what do you he, he, certainly if warnock gets into this thing which everybody now really expects he will do he will be the highest profile best known african-american on in any of the in either of the democratic uh, races in in for for a uh, senate
3: that's what i was going to bring up um because if you look at you know race we refer to it as Senate race number one, all white, Um, Senate race number two. Now, if we have Raphael Warnock in the race, it's a different dynamic. And I think, you know, he pulls the African-American base together. And then you throw Stacey Abrams into the mix, who's possibly endorsing him. Wow. I mean, that's a powerful duo. I'm excited because as somebody who loves communication, I mean, imagine the debates with Raphael Warnock and a Doug Collins um, and Kelly Loeffler. I mean, this is going to be dynamic. As boring as the impeachment hearings are, (laughs) this is going to be really interesting (laughs) to
1: watch. So Jen, I was interested in your reaction or your answer to Greg's question about whether or not you believe at this point that now that you've taken yourself out of the running that the Democratic Party would consolidate around Warnock is 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 that in fact in the works to the best of your knowledge rather than just your supposition
4: look I think there's I think there's definitely an effort to do that Um, but we have to remember that you can't prevent people from running. Right. And so Mm -hmm. if folks want to throw their hat into the ring, then they can throw their hat into the ring. And, you know, whether they're successful or not is a completely different thing. (laughs) And if they want to be known as a spoiler is a completely different thing. Um, But at the end of the day, really, it shouldn't be about kind of trying to push people out, but maybe really try to get everybody together to say, you know, if we believe in these issues, how can we move forward together?
1: uh, Greg, I want to talk just a minute about Senate race number one, but before we completely get away from number two, I do think as long as we've got Jen Jordan in the studio, we ought to give her a shout out, some props. Uh, the fact that there were so many people who thought, including Jackie Cushman, who thought she'd be a formidable candidate, tells us a lot about the kind of rise in the state senate that Senator Jordan has had in a fairly short period of time.
2: You could call it meteoric. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she's she's made a, a brand for herself, especially by speaking out against the uh, anti-abortion legislation last year. They got national attention, yeah. um, and and probably. I mean, I think, I think part of the calculus uh, is, is the fact that there are only white – the major candidates in the other race are all white, and um, in this day and age, especially in Georgia with the Georgia electorate, there is – we wrote a story about it, I think it was last August, you know, just pointing out how incredible it was that there was no African-American leading candidate in the other Senate race. So there's, there's a big urge uh, on the Democrats to have a, a leading African-American candidate.
4: Also, it's important from the presidential level. I mean, at this point, Mm -hmm. um, all of the high-profile African-American candidates have dropped out. And so what we know is at the top of the ticket, we are going to have a white Democrat. Um, So I do think it's important that we have diversity up and down the ticket. And, you know, I think the, the entry of Reverend
2: Warnock does that. And the possibility that Stacey Abrams is on the ticket in some form or fashion, too, as a vice presidential nominee.
1: Wow. I mean, Jackie... They're gunning for you. I mean, uh, Republicans. Yeah, I mean,
5: I think that's fine. I, mean, I think I think Stacey Abrams <laughs> talks about that as much as she can. I get, I can't imagine anyone would ask her to be the vice presidential candidate. But then we've had several candidates, I think, that have been kind of fascinating. Um, but for, I, I do think it's going to be an interesting year because um, I looked at the exit polls for the last presidential um, race. This is, a, this is across not Georgia. This is across nationwide. And I know we're going to get into favorabilities later on in terms of polls. But of those who voted for tw- for President Trump, okay, of those who voted for him, said they actually didn't approve of him, but they still voted for him. And so I think this is an unusual election because Trump is at the top of the ticket. And um, I know we're going to get into polls later, but I think it's not as simple as people might want to believe. All
1: right. I I have to say— I'm just glad you're not doing it, Jen, for a very selfish reason. We keep <laughs> losing panelists on this show who decide to run for office. I'm glad we'll be able to call on you in the months ahead because we're really going to need your thinking oh, thank as you. the election moves forward. Um, let's move on. And, Greg, just give us a quick summary, if you could. You were in Dunwoody the other night. Where the Democratic candidates in race number one all got together, what was what was the event that brought them together? It seemed like a relatively small, bore event.
2: Yeah, it was indivisible. Uh, a Democratic group in the sixth district that was bringing um, the four the four leading. There's there's a few other candidates, yeah. but the four leading contenders um, in that race together, and it's honest also part of it, a, a way to get them more attention because a lot of the media attention has been focused on Kelly Leffler, on Doug Collins on Reverend Warnock on all the potential candidates in the other race. But meanwhile, this race has been going on since uh, early last year. And it's not nearly getting as much. Did you uh, learn anything
1: new from any of it or more important than that, because our listeners have not been following them as closely as you have. Did you learn? Is there anything that any of them said that reinforces how they're running their campaigns that you thought was interesting? A
2: lot of the focus was on David Perdue, not on each other. It's still too early, I I guess, for their strategies to attack each other and try to distinguish each other by, by by contrasting. Um, but I think the, the biggest, uh, for me at least, uh, new, new piece of information was just there are different strategies for winning in November. Um, you know, Teresa Tomlinson, the former mayor of Columbus, talked about a rural strategy. Ted Terry and Sarah Riggs Amico talked about driving up suburban. Uh, numbers. They say the key to the, to winning in November is the sixth and seventh districts. And John Ossoff talked about really taking a page from Stacey Abrams' playbook and the volunteer army and and you know getting as much voter contact as as humanly possible um, before November.
1: I think Lori Greg said such an important thing. If you were running a campaign for one of these people or you were the candidate yourself, trying to get attention right now with everything that else is going on in the political I mean we barely talk about it on this show and we have five hours a week <laughs> in which to do it.
3: Uh no doubt they are starved for attention and the way they go about it, I mean they They've got to start attacking each other because that's what the media covers, right? It's the negativity. And we know that will come as we get closer to the primaries. But it's difficult. Um, And, you know, Teresa Tomlinson is from Columbus, so she needs the name ID in metro Atlanta for sure, especially DeKalb and Fulton counties. Um, John Ossoff has the name ID statewide, and he's the front runner in terms of fundraising, by mm-hmm. far, two,
1: $2 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes,
3: so a lot of people see the momentum is with him because of the money. So the other three candidates really have to kind of get in this and really prove to them, prove to their base that you know they are formidable.
1: All right, um, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way. And when we come back, uh, yes, Jackie Cushman, you mentioned we've got some numbers from the oh, AJC mm-hmm. on how Georgians feel about the presidential candidates, um, but also. Uh, Greg Blustein, I want to talk just a little bit about the fact that Brian Kemp still hasn't told us what he wants to do about admitting refugees into the state of Georgia. We'll do all that after the break.
3: In his Federalist Papers, Alexander Hamilton defined impeachment as a method of national inquest into the conduct of public men alleged to have violated the public trust. So what will senators make of the two articles now before them? And what answers are you looking for? A national conversation on the impeachment of a president. That's next time on 1A.
0: Join us for 1A this morning at 10 right here on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. Support for GPB comes from you, our listeners and the University of Georgia's Master of Social Work online program, providing flexibility for adult professionals seeking to advance their career in the field of social work. More information at online.uga.edu slash msw. And Cigna, urging people to take control of stress by having a plan, a period of time to unwind, a location to de-stress, an activity to enjoy, and a name of somebody to talk to. Cigna, together all the way. Learn more at Cigna.com slash take control.
1: Greg Bluestein, uh, we all know, I think, at this point, that President Trump decided he wanted each state to declare whether it would accept new refugees, although the total number of the Trump administration is willing to accept now is like 18,000 18, a year. Uh, nevertheless, each state was given the power to make that decision. Most of them at this point have. Uh, a, a federal judge put that, stayed the Trump order on that. Um, And nevertheless, we're still waiting to see, uh, in theory, whether Governor Kemp wants to do it. Uh, Scott Holcomb wrote a letter to the governor the other day, the Democratic uh, House member. I'll read one paragraph from it. Uh, Because he's military. He said, I deployed three times for the conflict in Bosnia, Afghanistan, and Iraq. I have some understanding of the horrors that refugees must survive. I know that the refugee resettlement program provides hope to those who have lost everything but still believe in the promise of tomorrow. The governor is getting a lot of pressure. The restaurant association here wants to. Uh, move forward with refugees and their employ. and uh, So
2: w- what's going on here? And what I find is fascinating, and we did an open records request, so we got a bunch of documents, but how many Republicans and the Evangelical conservatives behind the scenes are also pressuring him, including Ed Lindsey, uh, you know, a frequent mm-hmm. guest of the show, a former Republican lawmaker from, from the Buckhead area. Um, so he's getting a lot of pressure behind the scenes. He still hasn't Set, ha, ha, taken a stance on the issue yet? He told me in an interview that the timeline might be fuzzier than it seems, but 42 states. Yeah. Have now taking, taken taken uh, some sort of stance. One Texas is the only one to say no to the to refugees, but about a dozen Republican led states have said yes, and and, and many Democratic led states have said yes. Jen,
1: he does have at least a temporary out. He has now said that he's going to wait till the courts decide once and for all whether the president's order on giving the states the right to decide on refugees is legal or not.
4: You know, that's not really leadership. I mean, let's be clear, we are literally a country um, founded by political and religious refugees. And so um, whether it's your faith tradition, whether it's because you're just a United States citizen, I think it's one of those things, just like Representative Holcomb said, I mean, these people are vetted. They go through the process more than anybody else. And um, and it's one of those things that I would hope that the governor kind of would stand up and actually do the right
1: Jackie, thing. Jackie, it is interesting that this isn't dividing necessarily along partisan lines at all. As, as Greg points out, there are evangelical Christians who are big, big Trump supporters whose mission is to help refugees find new homes.
5: Absolutely. And the Senate is correct. These are people that have been through a very strenuous process. Um, So it's not like, I mean, it's a whole program. It's not that they're just showing up like all of a sudden. Um, And I I mean, I would encourage the governor to go ahead and accept them. But this is not, setting aside the issue, I think this is not um, unusual for Governor Kemp to kind of wait and see before he makes a decision. So, you know, setting aside this particular topic, I said this is kind of the way he's approached things, to be kind of slow, deliberative, not in a hurry, and at some point he'll, you know, make a decision. Lori?
3: I think, um, to all of your points, if any of you have spent any time in Clarkston, um, I covered several stories there and told the stories of these folks. I mean, these are not your, you know, stereotypical cross the border illegally Most of these folks arrive through Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport because they've been vetted by the U.S. government time and time again. A lot of them are families coming through with kids. And so it's a real different dynamic. Um, I'm surprised he hasn't weighed in on this yet because, you know, this is not Democrat or Republican. It's really about compassion. Um, And especially with Clarkston being the center really for our refugees in Georgia, but also really across the United States. It really is.
1: I, I want to second that. I, I've spent, like you, time in, in Clarkston, and it's it's really an extraordinary place to visit. It's one of the it's the most diverse community I can think I've ever been in, certainly in the state of Georgia, if not much of the United States.
2: And Clarkston's is one of those communities because remember this this order from President Trump back in September of last year allowed local governments also to say yes or say 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 no to refugees. And Clarkston, as well as the city of Atlanta and a few yeah. counties, were among the first to say yeah. All
1: right, let's we got a few minutes left. Let's let's look at um, numbers from the AJC poll, Greg. We've been doing that since the poll broke last Friday. But what we haven't talked about yet is. Um, the numbers on, uh, on candidates, Democratic candidates for president, and you, I think uh, your folks really only uh, looked at four Democrats, the leaders, um, and here's what's interesting. Overall, do you have a favorable or unfavorable impression of Joe Biden, favorable 35, unfavorable 57? Favorable, unfavorable, Elizabeth Warren. Favorable, 31. Unfavorable, 55. Um, Pete Buttigieg, favorable, 22. Unfavorable, unfavorable forty nine. Who by Bernie Sanders? Favorable thirty six, unfavorable fifty eight. Georgians don't like any of these Democrats. They? <laughs> did they just poll Republicans? Yeah, what the heck is that all about?
2: <laughs> now, I will say we did change our methodology. or UGA, our pollster changed the methodology. Uh, this was to because the last couple of polls probably overweighted. Uh, People with postgraduate degrees, and so all the polling analysts out there say that this poll is more is more um, is is probably more accurate. As a
1: college dropout, Mm -hmm. I applaud the move.
2: But no, this was this was a balanced you know balanced poll of 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 Georgia voters, and and really if you look if you drill drill down a little deeper into the Democratic numbers, it shows um, among Democrats that those three candidates: Senator Warren, Senator uh, Sanders, and and former Vice President Joe Biden, all have. Uh, you know, solid standing among Democrats, at least here in Georgia, whereas Pete Buttigieg is double digits below them. So it shows he has significant work to do here in Georgia if he wants to make a dent in our March 24th primary.
1: Yes, but Lori, you're <laughs> down the road, one of these people who's going to have to face the general election voter of Georgia. Right now, it doesn't sound very promising. <laughs> Not at all. Um,
3: with those numbers, it really does sound like they just pulled Republicans. But, you know, at, at some point, the Democrats will pick their candidate and get behind their candidate. And that's why I think, according to those numbers, we are not a battleground state. Right. Right? <laughs> um, but I think, you know, as we get closer, people will make up their minds and consolidate behind their candidate. Jen, how do
1: you reflect on those numbers as a Democrat yourself?
4: Look, I, I do think maybe it was overweighted in another way um, looking at it. But I think that if you if you take that on its face and then you look at actually Trump's approval numbers, I think that should be incredibly concerning for Republicans. Yeah. Um, I, I think
5: Trump's, and the, the, if you look at the, his approval, both strong and somewhat approval, I think it's over 50. I think it's around 51. 50, 50, 51, 51, right, yeah. which is pretty, I mean, I've got to say it's, it's pretty good, considering, again, the exit polls showed that 20 percent of those that voted for Trump last time actually didn't approve of him. They just voted for him because they like his issues. So I think a lot of this we're going to hear about, you know, What are the issues and the policies and the results of the person versus the personality? So I think it's going to be again, I think it's going to be a little different. But I think I think all the Democratic candidates right now um, are a little low. And again, I agree with Lori. You'll see some consolidation. So,
1: so Jackie, being a veteran of the campaign trail when your dad ran for president, how do you imagine these numbers might start to change once we get to voting? Once the Iowa, Iowa's, uh, Iowa voters uh, uh, give us their point of view in their caucuses, once New Hampshire votes on November 11th, South Carolina, the following Saturday, how does that shape whether people's favorable uh, impressions of a candidate change? If Do they like a winner is what I'm saying? Well,
5: I, I think there is something to that. Absolutely. And I think you have to look at Iowa, New Hampshire separately from South Carolina. I mean, Georgia is very different. Than Iowa and New Hampshire, not only the weather, which is obvious, <laughs> uh, the approach in terms of the caucuses, which are a whole different animal, um, as well as the belief system. So I think you have to kind of pull those apart and look separately and look more at uh, South Carolina and what that means to Georgia. But I think, again, as you see the consolidation, that will help. But, you know, in the end, I mean, part of our process, and we had this last year with Hillary Clinton, um, in the end, we're going to have two candidates. You're going to have, you know, Donald Trump on one side and somebody else on the other side, and it becomes a two-person choice. Um, and I think, you know, as the economy stays strong, as, you know, we have low unemployment, I think all of that helps Trump along the way.
1: Lori, uh, you're a veteran, too. Um, how are the, how are the uh, impressions here going to change as the elections start taking place?
3: I think one key point that we have to make is in South Carolina, we'll see the African-American Democratic vote consolidate there. Um, and we know that Pete Buttigieg has a challenge in the African-American community. I've spoken to some Democratic strategists, African-American Democratic strategists, and it's kind of what have you done? For the African American community, and how are you proving you will move us forward? And so I think, in those terms, South Carolina is very much like Georgia.
1: Greg, what was the decision on which candidates to include? Uh, What methodology was used there? I mean, obviously, you can't, you don't have the money to do everything you might want to, but I would have loved to have heard the impressions that people have of, say, Michael Bloomberg. Uh, especially him at this point, frankly. Yeah, I think we just
2: picked the four. Amy
1: Klobuchar.
2: Yeah, I think we just picked mm-hmm. the four leading candidates um, because this poll, this is actually an annual poll we do geared up at the legislature. Right. Uh, we we asked a lot of questions about health care, about gambling, about sports betting, about about a lot of the issues that lawmakers will take up, and we kind of threw in um, some political questions about Trump and about the presidential right. candidates near the end.
1: All right, we've got about a minute, 20 seconds left. While we're talking about presidential candidates, Laurie Geary, Uh, This is a longer discussion, but at least for a minute. Do the New York Times absolutely show us how incapable anybody is of figuring out what to do with politics by endorsing not one, but two <laughs> candidates for the Democratic nomination? Has that ever been Elizabeth done before? Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. No, to the best of my knowledge, no. And I thought it was sort of disgraceful that they didn't make up their damn mind. <laughs> I think that's where we are in America right now, right? right. Exactly I was glad right. to see
3: it's two females, though. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I will say just real quickly to the Michael Bloomberg part, I think you have to include him now. My daughter Absolutely. is 12 yeah, and she watches YouTube and I monitor what she's watching. She's like, who's this Michael Bloomberg guy? Because he's popping up on ads. Wow, oh, that's it? Yes.
1: The last word goes to Lori Geary's. 12-year-old daughter, Lori, <laughs> Gary, Jen, Sheridan, Jackie Cushman, Greg Bluesteney. thanks for being here uh, for today's Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. We're back again tomorrow. That's right, 9 o'clock for a new Political Rewind. I hope you'll join us then. Take care.